0: In Nehemiah this morning. Last week we started a new series called uh, 2020 Vision, and uh, we'll be going through the book of Nehemiah. This morning we're going to talk about preparation with a purpose. So last week we were introduced to Nehemiah. He's one of our history books, and uh, Nehemiah is a man of God. Nehemiah depended upon God. Uh, he heard about the situation in Jerusalem, uh, the walls were down, they had been in ruins. Uh, the people had returned there about 90 years earlier, and yet they'd been unable to rebuild the walls. They needed a leader. They needed some spiritual renewal. And so uh, Nehemiah hears about this mess. In chapter 1, verse 3, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. That was the condition. Verse 4 tells us that he uh, he sat down, he wept and mourned, fasted and prayed uh, verses five to eleven. Last week was the prayer uh, that Nehemiah prayed to God. Verse eleven: uh, Let, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That man was King Artaxerxes. And so we're going to pick up this morning and uh, learn some things about preparation with the purpose. I'm in chapter two. Won't you stand with me and uh, we'll read chapter two? While you're standing, let me give you a, a quick praise. This morning, our first service, one of our ones uh, trusted in the Lord. Uh, his name was Jay, and I got a couple people. Matter of fact, three or four people were praying for Jay. Uh, I got their cards. Uh, Linda had him down, and she wrote him a letter saying, I'm praying for you, and I know Al had him down, and Krishna had him down, I had him down, and uh, this week he trusted in the Lord, and he'll get baptized next Sunday, and i just say all that, not only to celebrate, but just to tell you that uh, I believe God hears our prayers. And uh, you pray for your one. If you haven't identified one yet, I hope you'll do that. And uh, we've got lists, and we've got people praying. And uh, we're in February now, so maybe you've prayed the month of January. And maybe this is the time to sow some seeds, make some contacts. And I just want to encourage you in that. And uh, continue to pray, though, that God would continue to save. And uh, we'll celebrate that whenever he does. Amen? In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes... When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. That's, that's what the cupbearer does. That's, that was Nehemiah's job at the end of chapter 1. He's a cupbearer to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen set him beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that when that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And I letter her to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon, him, upon me. Lord, I, I pray this morning that your good hand would be upon us. Uh, Lord, that you will give us ears to hear, that you will work uh, through the preaching of your word and the work of your spirit to... Uh, to save some, to make us more like Jesus, to teach us some things about praying and planning and and uh, preparation and uh, your providence, and we pray that you're glorified in this. And I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated, and <coughs> we're gonna we're gonna notice four attributes of Nehemiah that we can uh, glean from, so that we can be uh, godly leaders and have God's vision. Uh, the first thing is that patience is displayed. Uh, patience. Anybody need some patience? So if you remember from last week, chapter 1, verse 1, the month of Shilel, that was the 20th year of Artaxerxes. Well, that's Shilel. is kind of November, December time frame. It's the ninth month, and uh, that's when Nehemiah gets the word about what's going on in Jerusalem. The walls are in disrepair. And, uh, and so verse 5, last week, said he mourned and, and fasted and prayed. and He didn't immediately go to the king and demand that uh, the king let him go back to Jerusalem. He, he takes some time in, in prayer. And Nehemiah is a man under, under authority. He couldn't even leave the city without the king's permission. He, the king was kind of an absolute uh, ruler. And so we come to chapter 2. Now it's in the month of Nisan, which is kind of our March-April. So it's about four months later, and uh, four months after Nehemiah got the news about the walls, and so Nehemiah realized the need for patience. And listen, church, the the scriptures just regularly exhort us to have patience. Many of you are familiar with Isaiah forty verse thirty one. It says, uh, "But they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength; they'll, they'll mount up with with uh, wings like eagles, and they'll." They'll run and, and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Uh, so we're exhorted to to wait upon the Lord. Uh, Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And so be patient in, in tribulation. I sometimes get some questions from someone. They'll say, well, listen, I don't know what to do in this situation. And my advice normally is, well, pray and be patient. Pray and be patient. Usually you can't go wrong by praying and, and being patient. Now, there's some things we know what God wants us to do. If you were to come to me and say, should I forgive my brother? Oh, I'd say, well, yeah. The Bible tells us to do that. Or to love your neighbor. Yeah. There's some things we could say yeah to. And other things we're not from sure about. So pray and, and, and wait upon the Lord. And uh, Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. And so Nehemiah had kind of experienced this firsthand. He didn't give up. He was patient. Uh, I, I saw a quote yesterday, I think it's from Swindoll, that says, the, the only thing harder than waiting upon God is, is not waiting upon Him. No, that's not how it went. Oh, the only thing harder than waiting upon God is, is wishing you had waited upon God. That means you, you go on with something without waiting on the Lord and you regret that. And so Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep His way and He will exalt you to inherit the land. And so patience is displayed. Maybe somebody needs to have some patience in your life. Secondly, prayer is deployed. I know we talked about prayer last week, and uh, we're going to talk about it probably every week that we're in Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is regularly going to the Lord in prayer, asking for the Lord's favor. And uh, last week, we looked at his, at Nehemiah's prayer, and we, we talked about adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, ACTS, this acronym ACTS that we might use in our prayer lives. And uh, Nehemiah has been praying for these four months, and so we pick up in chapter 2, I I had not been sad in the, in the, in the king's presence. Uh, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now, the, he's, the, he's the cupbearer. His, his job is not to come wine into the king. And so he realizes that the king recognizes my sadness. And so verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. That's a good word, isn't it? Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins. The gates have been destroyed. I, and so I, I'm sad because of the condition of my homeland. And the king said to me, What are you requesting? And notice this little phrase in verse four. So I prayed. I prayed to the God of heaven. He he offers up a, a prayer gram. He he shoots one up quickly. Lord, help me to give me the words right now. This is when I need it. And uh, we know First Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. And so as we go through our days, we walk in communion with God. We bring every little thing to Him and say, God, what should I do in this situation? How should I respond? What word should I use? How can I please you? That, that's the, the picture. Most of us are aware of James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Or the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we ask ourselves, am I a man of prayer? Are you a woman of prayer? Are we a church of prayer? Do we live in constant dependence upon God? And so uh, prayer is is deployed. And then thirdly, planning is demonstrated. Now, I don't want you to miss the, the planning and the preparation of Nehemiah, even before he talks to the king. Uh, Nehemiah has a fixed go. His, his go is to be able to return to Jerusalem and rebuild those walls. Uh, he makes some preparation for that. He, uh, he, he wants to have a plan in place. And so uh, verse 5, when he, he answers the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And so that was his purpose. Now someone has said, people who aim at nothing are sure to hit it. And, and some people don't have goes and don't make plans. And so not only should we have a go, and not only did, did Nehemiah have a go, but he made preparations for it. Uh, he'd been praying and thinking about this for a few months. Uh, he knew about how long he thought it would take, maybe. And so when he's asked in verse 6, how long uh, are you, are you going to be away? Uh, when will you return? Uh, it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And so Nehemiah's not saying, I want to go, and I don't know when I'll get back. I don't know how long it'll take. He, he gave the, the king a, a time frame. He'd been thinking through this, praying about it. And uh, Nehemiah is aware of the obstacles that the Jews had faced in trying to rebuild. If you read the book of Ezra, there's always this, these enemies coming and threatening the, the people. And, and they even wrote a letter to the king, uh, telling the king that the people of Israel were trying to rebel against him, and he made the, the work stop. So he was aware of those obstacles and and so in verse 7 he he said, uh, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the providence beyond the river. That would be on the other side of the Euphrates. That they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And so king, would you write me a letter and I can give it to these governors and they'll let me pass through and they won't try to do me harm. And then Nehemiah knew it and take some supplies to rebuild the walls. He found out who the keeper of the, the king's forest was. And so in verse 8, and led a, a letter to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and for the temple and for the walls and for my house. And so he's planned this out. He says, it's going to take me this long. Uh, would you give me some letters for safe travel? Would you give me some supplies from, from the forest? And... Uh, I think the Scriptures encourage planning and preparation. Proverbs 16, 3, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. And so commit what you're doing to the Lord, and He'll establish your plans. And we see this principle come to, to pass in Nehemiah's request. When he had the opportunity, he had the plan, and it all worked out. And so I say this, apart from his planning, he he might just have gotten permission from the king to go back. Uh but he might not have had the supplies, and he might have just gotten there and spun his wheels. But Nehemiah has prayed, and he has made plans, and God is going to bless those. Now, some people think that planning and, and preparation are in opposition to trusting God. I, I think they go hand in hand. Prayer and planning complement each other in the working out of God's purposes and plans in our lives. He wants us to pray, and then he sometimes wants us to plan and get busy. Do our part, and so dependence on God does not eliminate planning and working. Listen, I I, I try to depend on God every week to to preach His Word. Uh, I pray and and ask for His blessings, uh, but then I study and prepare so that I can rightly divide the Word. And God God doesn't want me just to get up here and say, "Well, I." You know, here's, here's what I got. He, he wants me to depend on Him, and He wants me to prepare and study. And, and so I want to say it again, prayer and planning complement each other in the working out of God's will. It was even possible, I believe it was probably likely, that Nehemiah had even prayed about uh, when he was going to approach the, the king. You notice in, in verse 1, I, I had not been sad in his presence. And so Nehemiah just waiting for the right time. And so we come to the month of Nisan, that was the, the beginning of the Persian year. It's kind of like our New Year's time, a, kind of a time of celebration. And I was just thinking, you know, that time between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. That's always a, a good time. People are a little more generous and a little happier. It's the, the holiday season, and it's a good time to, to ask for something. Well, it's kind of the same way uh, Nehemiah had sought the Lord for the best time to approach the king, and, and this was the time. And the reason I entitled this message, Preparation with a Purpose, uh, is just in light of all the difficulty that the Jews had had under, you read about Ezra, about all the opposition, when Nehemiah prays and he makes preparations, and he's able to tell the time frame, the supplies, the letters. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so man plans, the Lord establishes. And then that leads us to the last point this morning. While planning is demonstrated, providence is decisive. I like to talk about the providence of God. God working things out. Verse 8 says, uh, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon him. Now, as we mentioned last week, Nehemiah knew that God could move the heart of the king. And so while Nehemiah is planning, he's also praying. And, uh, and so when he presents this to the king, this, this pagan king gives him permission to go back to the land to rebuild the walls. And uh, he was convinced that only God could have brought that to pass. Again, last week, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. And so the king may have all authority, but he's in God's hands. And Nehemiah said, you know, God, you can turn his heart any direction you want to. Now, we got through verse 8, and I think we could have got through all of chapter 2 this morning. But there's this uh, amazing prophecy that begins here in Nehemiah chapter 2. And so I debated about whether to talk about this. Uh, But anyway, I think we should. And so if you want to lace up your shoes and turn to Daniel chapter 9... Anybody like Daniel? Some of you like Daniel. How about Revelation? Some of you like prophecy. The first service called it a math lesson. We get a little bit of a math lesson for a few minutes, but Daniel chapter 9. We know Daniel was uh, exiled from from Judah to Babylon around 606, 605. He was one of the first ones taken exile, him and Chadrach, Meshach, Abednego, some of them. And, uh, And so he was taken exile to Babylon, and God's hand was upon him. In the year around 539 B.C., Daniel has this prophecy from God. We call it the 70 weeks prophecy. Uh, it's in Daniel chapter 9, and I just want to share a little bit of it. Uh, when it says 70 sevens, uh, so Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 70 weeks. These weeks are, are actually years of sevens. And so seventy sevens is four hundred and ninety years, and God says there's a period of four hundred ninety years, and there's actually four hundred eighty three years, and then there's a final seven years. We believe that's going to take place during the tribulation at the end of the age, and we read about that in the book of Revelation. Uh, But there's this four hundred ninety year period of this block of history that that God shows to Daniel that will be fulfilled. and it starts in Nehemiah chapter 2. And so uh, here's what it says in Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So God says at the beginning of this 490 years, there's coming a period of time, and at the end of it, sin will be dealt with. Eternal righteousness will be established. When did that happen? Yes, when Jesus went to the cross. He took care of sin. He provides us with righteousness. And so when did these 490 years begin? Well, verse twenty-five of Daniel nine. Now, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, from the going out of the word to restore Jerusalem, and so that's exactly what King Artaxerxes gives permission to Nehemiah here in Nehemiah two to go back and to rebuild these walls, and so we would say that this event in Nehemiah chapter two is the beginning of Daniel's prophecy. And so, uh, Nehemiah 2.1 says it is the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Historians declare that King Artaxerxes uh, took the throne around 465 B.C. So if you want to write that down in your notes, you can, 465. So his 20th year would be 445. You probably don't need any calculators for that one. So, around 445, we're coming down because we're coming towards the birth of Christ. And so, Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, is March 14th, 445 B.C. Sir Robert Anderson declares that March 14th, 445, began the beginning of Daniel's prophecy of Daniel 9.24. Now, I don't want to get too technical this morning, but in in, uh, Daniel 9, 25, we have these two periods listed. First, there are seven weeks. Uh, Then, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So, seven weeks is seven times seven, 49 and then there's 22 weeks. And so they're, they're divided up. And so this first seven-week period is 49 years, and it, it begins when Jerusalem is built, and it says, in a troubled time. And so as we go through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to realize that when Nehemiah gets there, there's lots of trouble going on. There's all kinds of opposition, and, and we're going to talk about that in the, in the weeks to come and, and everything that happened when he went back. Uh, But Daniel sees a 49-year period, uh, seven sevens. And so if you go, if you start at 445 and you go forward 49 years, you come to about 396 B.C. And that's a very crucial uh, time. Not only was it the time when Jerusalem, the city, was rebuilt, it's also the time that this Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament canon, was completed. The 39 books of the Old Testament were completed about that same time. And so it is as if God reestablished His people in the land. He allowed them to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And He established His Word, the Old Testament. And from there, there was silence from heaven. God didn't send any more prophets. The next one that would come on the scene is John the Baptist. And so the, the next thing that happened... After everything was rebuilt in Jerusalem and the scriptures were completed, the Old Testament scriptures, the next thing in redemptive history was the coming of Jesus. and So that's the first 49 years. And then in Daniel 9, 25, we read about this three score and two weeks. We don't talk like that, do we? We don't have scores. and But three scores, 60 years and, and two, so 62 weeks. And so that's 62 times 7. That's 434. I'm going to do the math for you. If we add 434 plus the 49, we get 483 years. You all good with that? And so what is this 483 years? Well, back to Daniel 9.25, to the coming of an anointed one, or the prince, or the coming of the Messiah. That's talking about Jesus, right? And so from 445 B.C., the, the time when uh, King Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah permission to return to rebuild the walls, we want to go forward 483 years. Now, we have a few problems when we want to do that. In, in uh, Daniel's time, uh, their calendars were 360 days a year. And so if we want to know how long is 483 years, we have to take 483. We've got to times it by 360 And then we get 173,880. I did the math on this. You can trust me on this. So 483 times 360, 173,880. If we want to put it in our calendar, then we have to divide it by 365.25 because we have 365 days in our calendar plus sleep a year every four years. So we can divide it back out. But if we just take the days, 173,880. Now The most interesting thing about this is from the time that King Artaxerxes said to Nehemiah that you can go back to Jerusalem to the coming of Jesus uh, on the day of, that he rode into Jerusalem, uh, we get 173,880 days. I want to just show you this quickly and try not to make it too complicated. Isaiah 46.10 says that God is the one who declares the end from the beginning. Y'all believe that? He knows the end. He declares it. He predicts things that have not yet come. And so God told his prophet Daniel the very day that Jesus would be presented as the anointed one or the prince. And when did that happen? Well, it happened on Palm Sunday. It, it happened the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. People laid down their palm branches and their cloaks, and they said, Hosanna. You remember that? Hosanna to the king of David, they acknowledged that Jesus was the anointed one. We celebrate that every Palm Sunday, and so. Uh, but then we know from Daniel nine that this didn't last long. After the sixty two weeks, verse twenty six says, "The anointed one shall be." Anybody got your Bible still open? Shall be cut off. Yeah, that means to to kill or to destroy. And so Daniel literally says that after these three score and two weeks, 62, these 483 weeks, the anointed one shall be killed. Now I know this is pretty deep this morning, I try not to do that, but from the time that King Artaxerxes told Nehemiah that he could return to Jerusalem, which is March 14th, 445 B.C., if we fast forward and 83 years, or 173,880 days, the date is April 6, 32 A.D., and that is the date of Palm Sunday. That is the date that Jesus rode into town, and they acknowledged Him as the Savior. That's an amazingly incredible prophecy, that God told one of His prophets what would happen. It would take 483 years for it, and to the day, I believe, that prophecy is fulfilled. Me and a a friend, Phil Ashcraft, we worked all this out. We had our papers and our graph papers. And I, I believe in the sovereignty of God that it happened just as God said it to the very day. So March 14th, 445, plus 173,880 days, April 6th, 32 AD, the day that Jesus rode into town. Uh, so if I told you uh, that there was a prophecy given in 539 B.C., and the prophecy would be fulfilled to the very day in 32 A.D., nearly 600 years later. You, you'd either say one of two things. You'd either say, no way, or you'd say, amazing. And I believe it's amazing that God would give us such details. Now, I want to ask this question. How did the Jews miss it? I mean, the Jews had the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures. They had to understand that the Messiah was going to die. And the only answer is they couldn't handle it. They could not perceive that the Messiah would die on a cross. Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so for the Jews to think that their promised one was going to be crucified on a cross, they could not accept that. So the Bible says that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. And so even though Daniel said these 69 weeks would pass and the Messiah would be cut off or killed, and there's, I don't know of any other way to interpret it, exactly what Daniel said would take place happened, and they missed the whole thing. And listen, 2,000 years later, people still have a, a problem with the crucified Savior. And, and the fact that God would send a, a prophecy nearly 600 years before it took place, and it was fulfilled to the day, that, that is amazing to me. It, it, it just further proves that God's Word is trustworthy and true. And listen, I, I'd stake my life on that. that that's the certainty, I, church, that we can have of God's Word being true. And C.S. Lewis said, we have to make a choice, don't we? Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or He's Lord. And I want to confess to you today, I think He's Lord. And... uh I usually try to avoid getting too deep into prophecy on a Sunday morning, just just because it can be confusing to some. But I, here's what I really want you to know: just the overarching message of the Bible is that we have a Creator, and and the Bible tells us about Him in Genesis one. He created all things. He is holy. He created man. Man chose sin. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin is death. But from the beginning of creation, God had a plan to rescue sinners. And the only way for our sin to be paid for was for God to send His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins. And so not only do I want you to know that Jesus came, but He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and took our sins. He died. He was buried. On the third day, he arose again. And I want you to know, we have these 39 books we call the Old Testament. And sometimes we get into the Old Testament and we think, well, what is all this about? It's pointing us to the coming of his son, Jesus. And so we start in Genesis 3.15. And God tells us that the offspring of the woman would come and crush the head of Satan. And we have a prophet like Micah who says that the he would be born in Bethlehem. we have a prophet isaiah who says that he'll be born of a virgin we have scriptures like isaiah 53 who says he'll be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes will be healed and so isaiah tells us that he will suffer when he comes and we have all these scriptures and and daniel tells us that the anointed one would come and that he would be cut off And so I say all that to say Jesus came and died on the cross and it was no accident. Amen? There was no greater way for our loving God to show His love towards us than by allowing His Son, His sinless Son, to come and to suffer and die for our sins. I mean, that's John 3, 16. Our our kids learned that. They probably knew it. They quoted it Wednesday night so they could give Chip a, a pie in the face. But for God so loved the world... That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but, but have eternal life. And so that's the story of the Bible. And so as we look back to, to Nehemiah before we close. I, I love verse 8 because now, Nehemiah had done everything that, that he could have done. He prayed. He thought, through, he thought through this predicament. He planned on what he would need to ask the king for. And, and after the king had uh Granted his request to, to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls and to supply all the needs, uh, Nehemiah acknowledged that his success was all due to God. The good hand of my God was upon me. And church, this is, this is so important. We, we need to do our part. We, we need to be disciplined. We need to pray. We need to plan. We need to work. We need to move forward. And all along the way, we trust God. And so we want to see 52 people saved and baptized. We've we got 50 more to go. But, but we've got to do our part. We pray and we fast and we pray and we share and we pray and we invite and we pray and we seek Him. And then we roll up our sleeves and do our part and we sow seeds and we share. And it so often is the case God shows up in a big way. Not only did Nehemiah, uh, not only did King Artaxerxes grant Nehemiah's request, but, but he exceeded that. We, we'll get into this next week. But, but when he came to the governors in Providence and gave them the letters, the king had sent with me officers of the army and, and horsemen. I, I want to suggest that would be pretty impressive to those enemies of the Jews when Nehemiah shows up and he's got the cavalry with him. But that's just the way God does things sometimes, isn't it? He often provides in ways beyond what we even ask Him. And so I just want to declare to you this morning that God's a good God. Amen. He loves His children. We don't ask for fish and He give us a serpent. We don't ask for bread and He gives us. No, He gives good things. He wants us to ask. And it pleases Him, especially when we come pleading for the, for the souls of others. And, and Paul put it this way in Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do immeasurably more. Amen. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. God is able to do more than we even ask. And so, church, we plan and we prepare and we pray and we watch God do His thing for His glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You're a good Father. Thank You that Your good favor was upon Nehemiah. And and as we journey to to Jerusalem, we're going to see how You... Provided and protected and blessed, and you know we just want to acknowledge your faithfulness, and, and Lord help us to do our part to seek your face in prayer, to to plan, to fast, to share, to pray, and help us just to live in dependence upon you, and and realize that you're a good Father and you do even more than we ask. And Nehemiah realized the good hand of your good hand was upon him, and I, I pray your good hand would be upon some this morning especially those who may be here apart from a relationship with Jesus, that you would graciously open their eyes to see Jesus, your sinless Son, who stepped out of heaven, who came to earth, who went to the cross to take our sins. I I pray that some eyes would be opened this morning to that truth, and some would turn from their sins and believe upon Jesus and be saved. And Lord, we'll celebrate your salvation. And Lord, we invite you this morning, whatever else you want to do in our midst, you might want to add some to our body today. You you might want to bring to mind some some friends or family that we need to be praying for, for their salvation. Lord, uh, we, we plead with you to save the lost. Bless this invitation. Lord, accomplish your purposes. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How about you stand with me this morning? Listen. We're going to have an invitation. And, just, and you respond. And, and in particular, you know, the Jews, they, they just missed it. You don't have to miss it. Jesus came to die for your sins. And he invites you to turn and be saved this morning. We, we invite you. I'd love to talk to you about that this morning. You respond this morning.